Live from the Xfinity Studios at WVON. We're your original social media. The Talk of Chicago, 1690 WVON. WVON family, and thank you for sharing your Sunday with us. At least it's not snowing or it's not raining. It may not be as warm as it has been, but uh, thank God there's no precipitation so far. This is WVON 1690 AM, the talk and the top of Chicago. I'm Chinta Strasberg, producer and host of On the Case. My co-host is Kent Hunley, publisher of 316 Magazine. I am the editor and chief of that 10-year-old gospel magazine that is more, is in more than 1,000 black churches and growing every day. Uh, but today we have a second co-host uh, in the studio, Dr. Jim Economos. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, who is also sponsoring today's show. And um, he is a dentist. Welcome to On the Case. Well, thank you very much. It's an honor to be here and uh, it's a lot of fun. It was nice coming down here because there's no traffic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so WVON's call-in number is 312-374-8130, and your comments and questions are always welcome. Now, protesters are rallying and marching against the United States war with Iran throughout the nation, including Chicago, London, you name it. People are angry at President Trump. They're asking, did he make this decision to attack Iran for political purposes? Do you oppose the deployment of additional uh, U.S. troops in, to the Middle East. Uh, what do you think of Trump's ordering a drone uh, attack against uh, Iran that killed Major Jin Qasem Soleimani, one of Iran's top military leaders? So expect more anti-war protests for sure. Um, I, uh, rep- Republicans, and I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to say this, Republicans love to start war. There's a lot of money made for a lot of people, uh, who aren't Democrats for sure. Um, thanks go out to Reverend Jesse Jackson Sr. for going to the aid of black Pembroke, Illinois farmers and for helping two of the four young men he bailed out of, out of jail on Christmas Day. Now, those two of those youth 
youths are coming to the PUSH broadcast every Saturday, thanking Reverend Jackson and just taking in a wealth of information from our civil rights uh, leaders from around the nation, in fact. And thanks go out to Omar Sharif, too, president and founder of the African American Contractors Association, who has gotten Mark Gaydon, he's vice president of Related Midwest, for vowing to help the youth with counseling and jobs. Mr. Gaydon actually met with the students and Reverend Jackson and uh, Omar Sharif uh, last Friday and began prepping them for employment. And they have an awesome, uh, like an internship program where these kids will learn a trade and make a lot, a lot of money at the same time. And so I, I just want to mention about this, uh, and, and, and I'd like for you two to comment, about $3.2 million um, in buying pot, stinky pot, in one day in Chicago. Uh, the lines were so long. Yes, I do wish those, those 77,000 people, I think it was 77,000 people who bought pot, I wish they had been standing in line to go to church and praise God. Kent, what do you think? I agree 100%, Shinta. They should have been waiting in line at, to fill up a church. And that's my opinion as well as yours. I read your post regarding that, and I totally agree with that. I, I feel that the, um, the buyers were felt on the first they got a chance to buy a pot legally. So they came out in great numbers to purchase, you know, marijuana. And some of them may have, um, you know, legitimate reasons as far as what they're saying, medical reasons. But, yeah, they should have been waiting um, to, um, you know, as far as do something other beneficial with their time. All right, Dr. Economist, what do you think? Well, you know, the joke is there are more people standing in line to get pot than standing in line to get a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you know what? It's, it's the marketplace at work. Uh, you know, frankly, people have been buying and selling pot for years, and, you know, there's a, a concern with a lot of the, you know, marijuana. You know what's in it. It's laced with fentanyl and other things. And, you know, like, for example, I have a patient of mine that passed away about a year and a half, two years ago, and the mom didn't want to tell me what happened. And finally this year the brother said, no, my mom uh, told me I can tell you he died of a, a he OD'd of fentanyl. You know, and this is the one of the arguments uh, for, for example, for the uh, building the wall because a lot of drugs, you know, come through the open borders and things, and there's no way to know what's there. I mean, there's a lot of things intercepted at these checkpoints, so to speak, but there's a lot of things come over this, uh, come over the open border, and you see the effects with a lot of people. A lot of people think, I think that's a myth about a lot of drugs coming over the border. They come in airplanes and they come in boats and trucks. Um, It's not so much with the open border thing. That's just a political thing that Trump is using to try to get votes. Well, I have a friend of mine who's a state trooper in Illinois, and he tells me that's the case. There's a, you know, because you don't know. You you don't know. I mean, the border's wide open. How do you know? Okay, this is one of the arguments for building a wall. Then you can have more of a. You'd have less. You don't need as many people to patrol an area. But there are private planes coming in, and well, there are the some have busted a couple very high. Well, they they people. do have detection, but there's also a lot coming through the border, and that's I think a lot of police people will tell you that. And if you go back to the wall, uh, Jim and Shenta, how much of the wall has been built based on the six billion dollars that was approved by Congress? What six miles? At well, it's been, six billion dollars. No, I think it's built more than that. But see, this this wall was supposed to be built back during Reagan's time. You know, all these things are supposed to be – see, this is one of the problems with government. They always promise and say things, but it never comes through. I mean, for example, let's go back to Hurricane Katrina. 
you know, when the levees got washed out. There was money that was apportioned to repair those levees for all these years, and it never happened. And here comes a disaster, and they want to blame Bush. <laughs> right. And, and, and go back to the walls again. The walls themselves concerning what what Trump promised to build those walls, and with $6 billion already allocated towards his administration, based on what he built already, what, 6 to 23 miles uh, of a wall already being built, you know, I wish I was one of those contractors, Shanta, because guess what? They are getting paid. Yeah, but you you wouldn't be because they're Trump supporters. <laughs> I know they're Trump supporters. <laughs> but if, but if you were a contractor, think about it. It'll it, it cost a trillion dollars based on the rate he's going at $6 billion to build, let's say, 23 miles. Think about it. The, 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 wall, of, the wall itself has to cover 143 uh, miles, mm-hmm. no, 1,000 miles. So based on that, it costs you know a trillion dollars based on what he's spending. Well, I don't think that's the case, but you know a lot of a lot of like I said, I think there's more than six. I mean, there's been several hot, several hundred miles built and or repaired already. You know, and you're already starting to see reports of these people are trying to break through the fence that they've already built. You know, so what does that tell you? You know what I seen, Jim? I seen online. I seen kids building a seesaw. You know, they put a stick in between the wall and they dance. From yeah. one side to the other. That's what they use that wall for, yeah. for, for recreation. Well, it'd be, they'd be jumping pretty high. <laughs> <laughs> that wall's pretty high. The, the it, is, anyway. it is high. That's why they put a stick in between it. Yeah. Uh, one side is the American side. The one side is the Mexican side. And the two kids are playing seesaw on the walls and having um, a picnic. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's, it, you know, hey, that's what I've seen. And, and that's what they're using the wall for. It was the $6 billion going right there. Yeah. yeah it's, all, it's all about politics. But let's go back to before we get to our guests. Uh, this marijuana thing, do you think it's a good idea for uh, the state to have passed this law and the governor signed it about the pot? You, you know, we go back to representation. And I, we had, what, Willie Wilson on the show, Dr. Willie Wilson on the show about two weeks ago. And then uh, attorney Ernesto Borges came on the show to discuss, you know, um, you know, um, equality um, and equity for um, blacks in the community on the west side and the south side. Like the mayor, part of her campaign was to bring uh, resources to the to um, our neighborhoods. And so far, with well, this pot, you know, ownership, it hasn't happened. Well, since since uh, Dr. Wilson was on two weeks ago, he has actually applied for two um, marijuana uh, dispensary licenses. So he's going for two, but he's going to use the profits as reparations for blacks. Congratulations. Yes. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whatever, scholarships, right. and some for the seniors for their taxes, you know, the stuff that the money that he just gave away, mm-hmm. he's going to use that in addition to his giving away because he'll never stop giving away his money. But um, he's going to use the profits to give back to the black community. Just like in Evanston, they have 3% of the sales of marijuana will be used for reparations for African Americans. Well, you see, in, in what what uh, what uh, he does with his money? This is an example of what's, what some of us call trickle down economics, because basically, when people have a lot of money, they spend it. And you know, sometimes people say, "Oh, the rich don't pay their fair share," or whatever, whatever. But you know, a lot of rich people spend their money, and it benefits other people. And this is why you shouldn't restrict the people, uh, you know, ability to, to earn money, because when somebody can build a better mousetrap, guess what? They profit from it, but then they buy things that helps other people. And this is one of the reasons why, for example, I'm a conservative guy because too often you see people trying to limit people's ability to make money based on some on class envy, and it's just not right. You know, like Willie Wilson. I mean, you know, he's done a lot. I mean, he started. He got to start with uh, 
I believe Ray Kroc and gave him a McDonald's franchise. Yeah, yeah he did. Yeah. So this is an example of a white guy helping a black guy, so to speak. And what's a black guy do? He goes and helps other folks. And this is the beauty of America, where you that's know, because he said he has such a good heart. Well, that's right. But see, America is a great is a great country, where I'm just an ordinary guy myself. But I've done a lot of things for myself personally. I mean, I have a long resume, but I live in a country that allows me to do this. And so Willie Wilson, for example, he did what he did. He achieved great heights, and now he sees people sitting in jail for a hundred dollar bail. They're sitting there for a year. It's stupid. I mean, I've I've contributed some money to help you know these guys get out. It's silly. It costs you fifty grand a year to keep somebody in jail. So if he's in there, especially for nonviolent offense, you know. Just give him a ticket or whatever and let the guy go. But to keep somebody locked up is, is, is stupid. So now do you think that – do you agree with this marijuana thing, Law? You know, I, it's, 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 it, it's the will of the people. You know, this is one of the reasons why Pritzker got elected because he promised to legalize pot, and this is why a lot of people came out and voted for him. You know, and, and that's the thing. It's, it's the marketplace. You know, people want to do it, do it. I mean, I've, when I was in high school, I was on that edge of the line. I did a lot of LSD. <laughs> I did a lot of meth. I you smoked a lot what? of reefer. I did a lot of acid. See, well, back I then, see, I'm, I'm, I'm old. I'm, I'm showing my age here. Back then, the old expression was tune in, turn on, and drop out. And I was a high school dropout for about a year and a half, two years. And back then, minimum wage was 2 bucks an hour. And I'm working at Shaky Pizza Work, making $2 an hour, going downtown to Central YMCA High School, doing nothing. And I was lucky because my dad had a friend that had a Jaguar. And back then, the fancy car was like ten grand, and the family sedan was maybe four. So I'm sitting there making two bucks an hour, ten thousand. I don't think it's going to add up for me. So I decided I better get back to school, and realize I was only hurting myself by not being in school. And this is something I tell a lot of kids that I meet in my office or just anywhere. It's like, hey, you know, young, you're young now. You got to take care of yourself. Stay away from drugs and things. Don't contaminate your body and your mind. You know, learn how to learn, and then you can enjoy life better when you get older. Yeah, but how can we teach our children? what you just said, you know, stay away from the drugs, and here we've legalized we, uh, pot. I mean, I, I think we're setting a bad example besides the, the marijuana smells so bad, and I'm still trying to figure out who I well, can actually, sue. Actually, I think it smells pretty good. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it smells really bad. You, yeah, you, go, you went to Walmart. Like manure. Different, no. it, it smells really yeah. bad. You go to Walmart. Well, maybe it depends on the formulation. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I was in Walmart with my baby. She was four years old, and a gentleman, he had to be about 65 or older, he walked in smelling like pot. Oh, Lord. And this is before the, uh, before the first. Well, maybe he did place. that because he didn't have the deodorant. <laughs> <laughs> this is, listen, if, if that's the case, then he, it worked because I couldn't smell anything other than, than pot. But, yeah, he was smelling really bad, Shinta. And I have to say, honestly, though, people have people been smoking um, pot, weed, uh, way before this law got passed. They've been doing it. You know, right. Well, I, I talked to someone, I, I won't even describe who he is because somebody may figure him out, but he had been selling pot, uh, growing and selling pot since the age of 12 and smoking it since he was 18, and he's like in his 70s now. He's a, and he's he still successful guy? Huh? He, he's a you know, well-off person and he does well in his life? I, I don't know if he does well or not, but he's happy. He's high. Okay, yeah. and he thinks and he talks. You know, he remember everything. Yes. <laughs> okay, because they say that's some of the fact of smoking weed that you don't recall, you know, what what took place. Well, it's you like know, anything. Some people are allergic to penicillin. Some people aren't. I so, think we're yeah. going to regret this. Well, the thing is, though, it's, it's becoming, you know, almost nationwide as young people grow up, you know. And like I said before, I think the good thing about this is is having some control over what you're 
you know, smoking versus something in the street that could be laced well, with fentanyl. I, I just think it's a cop out. You, yeah. you can't you can't stop the drugs. So what do you do? You cave in and you make it legal, like with alcohol. But guess what? Uh, Philip Morris, uh, one of the largest tobacco companies for years, have been um, sending lobbyists to Washington to um, stop, you know, marijuana from becoming legal forever. You know, so pot, uh, based on what what I've I've read, has um, less of a health effect than cigarettes. But yet, cigarettes cigarettes um, all this time has been legal. Well, the guy I was just talking about, he grows his pot. He grows it. Pot. Okay. It's it's ridiculous. Let's go to line one, Pam. Pam, welcome to on the case. Uh, hi, Tenta, and hello, everyone. There. Hey, Pam. How you doing? Uh, well, overall, uh, I am concerned. Uh, and Tenta, I think we need to change the language. We are at war. We are uh, we are we're in an unannounced, unauthorized war. Because that's what Trump does. Yes. So, so now we need to know how to move forward from here. And of course, that coward pushes people into war. But he, he, you know, what he had five deferments. His yep. children are in there. I wonder how many Republican um, children would be forced to go fight this war. Zero. Uh, you know, Donald Trump tells how he loves the military, but really it is his hate of the military that allows him to do this. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've listened to General uh, Mattis. He said that if you don't have diplomacy, your only other alternative is going to be military action. And look what Trump has done. He has gutted the Secretary of State office. And we heard from the foreign service workers in the impeachment hearing. So we know what he's doing to Ukraine. He backed out of the Iranian um, agreement, and now look where we are. So we're at war, and uh, now it's going, to, it's going to be up to Congress. And I know the Republicans are okay with a dictator and a king like Trump, but it's going to be incumbent upon the rest of us to fight this tooth and nail. Well, Pam, may I remind you that Bill Clinton at one time loathed Jim, the military? No, you can't. See, I'm tired of Republicans. You all want to go back to Clinton. You want to go back to um, uh, Carter. Well, let's go back to George Bush and how he lied us into this war, Jim. Remember that big lie well, about weapons of mass destruction? Okay, Pam, why did the first Gulf War end in 1990 under Bush the first? One of the one of the agreements with Saddam was to give up his weapons of mass destruction that was prevalent at the time in 1990 in the late 80s when he invaded Kuwait. Now, with all the, the goofing around going on, he had time to get rid of his weapons, whatever he had, and they found some of these things later on over in Syria. So Bush didn't lie. He was maybe not, you know, he was only president for a few months when 9-11 occurred. You know, and you had, you know, all these people talking about, you know, if you go back and you look at Bush's statements after 9-11, he said, we're going after terrorism no matter where it's at. And Iran, uh, Iraq certainly was part of that under Saddam Hussein. And going back to that, Jim, it still did not give the United States the rights to attack a smaller country and bomb it for, uh, a, it was such it was a lie. It, was, it, was a, a, well, it wasn't a lie, maybe it wasn't, but at one time, like I said, one of the f- agreements to end the first uh, Gulf War was his weapons of mass destruction. And, He'd rem- and, remember, and remember the inspections um, after, you know, during the war came out and said, you know what, it was a mistake made and it was a lie that, right. that this, this war was, was, should not have happened. Uh, we should not have um, bombed this country. And, and then at the end, almost at the end, then we dragged the man out of his, 
what is it, a hole, a, a cave? Bunker, yeah. and, and and have his people have he was hung, you know. And, and yeah. well, remember what Ray. Uh, um, well, a lot said. of bad things happen across the country. Remember, the world. remember what he said. He said that the president said at that time that uh, he his father he had said something against his father. So all of this was against because of what he said to his daddy. Well, if somebody wanted to kill your daddy, how would you feel? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can tell you this, Shanta. Uh, we take Janice, the next caller. My belief is is that this um, this attack on the Iranian um, general is is a ploy. It's pretty much what I see is a, it's a way of him um, strategizing how to get elected again. That's right. The, Trying that's to bring us into war again, take our attention and, off and, of. And to take attention away from the impeachment. There you go. And it's working. People are well, going forget, away. You know, <laughs> other private, Obama, how many drone strikes did he use? You know, it, it's happened before. You know, and a lot of people said Clinton did certain things because, you know, when he was in office. So, you know, it's it's easy to, to armchair quarterback. But I think I trust Trump's judgment. I think everything he's talked about, first of all, he keeps his promises. All the promises he ran on, he's kept. You know, unlike other people that sit there and give us a bunch of garbage even, and they get in office and it doesn't happen. Even promises are racist? How are they racist? The like the wall is very racist. no, it's not. Yeah, yeah the Mexicans Absolutely supposed that built that wall, right? So yeah, that that's a promise that didn't get kept. Well, the Mexicans I mean, it's, are not it's, building. it's being built solely, but I think if he would have had a little more cooperation his first two years, it might have been further, you know, further along. I mean, you look at the who about the Mexicans, Jim? Because well, the Mexican the president said he had, he is not going to pay a one dime on building that wall. Well, Trump. Let's I tell my friends, don't sell Trump short. But the, the bottom line is, is you know, when Trump first came, became in office. I mean, right. I mean, we'll go back before when Trump was a private citizen. Everybody loved him. You know, I mean, he was on Oprah Winfrey's show and she's sitting fluttering. eyes. Oh, Don, when are you going to be president? And all these other people all loved him. I mean, he was on The View, all these other shows, and he was always the Donald, you know, the Don. All of a sudden he takes on the swamp and all of a sudden now he's a racist. And you go back and you look at his whole personal life before. He's not. You know, he's not qualified for that job. Let's go to line two and talk to Janice. (laughs) Doing. I agree with Jim on everybody loved him, Jesse Jackson, Sharpton, and the rest of them. But what I want to speak to Jim, Jim, yes, you were fortunate. The YMCA school doesn't exist anymore. Oh, yeah? And you received a very, you know, YMCA, the high school has been gone for years. Oh. Um, yeah, but um, also I want to mention to you about you received a good foundation in education. Now, black leadership and the elite blacks send their all their kids to private schools, but the poor blacks are left in the low-performing schools. And then we always say work hard. But when I see the Obamas, when I see the Jacksons, when I see the even I love John Johnson, but his daughter went to the University of Chicago Laboratory School. When I see our leaders sending their kids to these schools or setting up private schools where we can have our own. Um, to me, Trump is no more racist than um, than Bill Clinton putting all those blacks in jail for drugs. And when I found out that what's his name, son? Biden's son was on drugs. He never served any time. Where is he? Why isn't he in jail now with a 40-year sentence on his back? Well, plus, the Democratic Party has used black people like dogs. Well, I agree. That's over here key. illegally, and they can get jobs when our young boys cannot. And I mean blacks with degrees. They gave $40 million to UNO, and these black schools are no good. Why wasn't Near North and Walter Payton put on the south and the west side of Chicago where children did not go to school? And I'd like for you sometime to get some of those blacks that support Trump. Because I saw him when he was in Atlanta, and I love when that black man told Trump he got his Ph.D. working, pulling okra in the fields, and now he owns his own business. And none of them uh, care about blacks too much. 
I like what my, my grandfather used to say. None of mine love with you, but they love your greenback. And that goes for and both parties, right, like. Janice? You're saying both parties. That's uh, Republican as well as the Democratic Party. And loyal to the Democrat. I feel the Democrat treats me like a, a mistress. You'll be seen with me in the night of darkness, <laughs> but you won't be seen with me in the, in the bright, open light. Well, like, like my grandfather used to say, you can't be seen with a person in the light of day. I don't want to be seen with you in the dusk of night. That's what I feel about the Democratic Party, and I will not vote for any of those people running right now. Wait a minute, Janice. How do you feel about the Repu- Republican Party? She go. Okay. Well, I would tell Janice, um, she's probably listening, uh, when, uh, go back in history, when Peter Fitzgerald was, uh, was still senator, he, he only served one term because he wasn't supported by uh, Judy Barr and Hastert and all these people. So he got out of it rather than stay in politics. So he could be in private life and make a lot of money and have a peaceful life. So that's when Obama got national presence to become senator. And then when that happened, um, or when, when, then when Obama became president, Durbin got, a, got rid of the school vouchers uh, uh, you know, programs for like kids in the D.C. school. So what Janice was saying was absolutely correct. You know, the op- educational opportunities for the elites are there, but for the poor folks, you know, you can't have it. And this is why a lot of these people don't like school choice. They don't like vouchers. They don't like homeschooling, where these people get a better education. They want to be stuck in these failing public schools. As a matter of fact, I think Newsom out in California signed a bill where if you're a, a nuisance kid in a school, you can't be suspended or disciplined. So what's going to happen? These kids know they can get away with stuff, and they're not going to have anything happen to them. Okay, let's go to our guest. Uh, Fred Carter is executive director of the Black Oak Center. That's a farm out in Pembroke, about 70, 73 miles, um, I guess, west of Chicago. President of the Economic Committee and Pembroke Township and Treasurer. And he's lived in Pembroke for 15 years. Mr. Carter, thank you for being on the case. Mr. Carter, are you there? He's not there? Can you call him back, Patrick? Okay. So we're going to be talking about Pembroke. Pembroke is really a gem of a community. It is uh, a lot of, um, there are several, there are not 66 black farmers out there, I can tell you that. Maybe there used to be. Many of them have retired and some of them have farms. But there are a number of uh, African American (coughs) farmers out there. They grow enough food to feed almost the entire city of Chicago. And Reverend Jackson wants them to sell food to CPS and, and other institutions like that, and and be included more in the um, farmers' markets. I know when I worked for um, Lieutenant Governor Pat Quinn, I was the Director of Constituent Services and Senior Policy Advisor, and I worked with the farmers out in Pembroke and, uh, you know, helped them to get set up mar- uh, markets here in Chicago. They're a great group of people, close-knit families. Um, I just... I love it out there, except for the outdoor toilets, because some, some of the people actually have outdoor toilets. Can you imagine? Well, this is uh, like I was telling you before, when the peop- some of these people in California don't want to have natural gas now put in new buildings, because they want to force people into electric. Mr. Carter, are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, thank you. Um, Thank did, you. Did I get your title right, Executive Director of the Black Oak Center, President of the Economic Committee, and uh, you're yes. on the P- uh, Pembroke Township? Yes, I am. Board, okay. You did get that correct. And you've lived there for 15 years. That's correct. 
So tell tell us about uh, let people know about Pembroke. I know you grow vegetables out there, and some some people, a couple people are growing uh, industrial hemp as well. I was surprised to learn that. Uh, Pembroke is is only sixty miles south of the city limits of Chicago. Okay. Uh, we're fifty four square miles of land for sixty thousand acres of land. Now, where you, where, where's your location related to uh, Kankakee itself? We're in the county of Kankakee. We're about, uh, the city of, of Kankakee is about nine miles from us. In which direction? We're a little west. I'm sorry, we're a little east of Kankakee, near uh, St. Anne's and Moments. Uh, and you, you don't have natural gas line, right? We don't have any natural gas. We've never had natural gas. Uh, we primary people use the gas here as the propane. Uh, we had a propane shortage this year. It was a little short on propane. So how do you keep warm? I know some of the farmers out there, or some of the residents rather, have uh, wood-burning stoves. That's pretty dangerous. Well... We heat, we have a combination of heat. People heat a lot of different ways. Um, Black oaks specifically use propane as heat and also wood, too. We heat with wood and propane. I had a wood-burning stove in my old house in South Elgin, and it's it's nice, but, you know, the problem with wood, you got to clean the ash up and things, and, you know, if you're if that's your primary, primary source of heat, you got to keep on stoking it. And it's, yeah, that's, it's a lot of work. That's, that's, the, that's the, uh, the disadvantage, but propane creates the balance in that. Right. So well, what, what propane are, is expensive. Mm-hmm. That's why natural gas is much better. And this, we were talking before that there's some there's since the state of California, there's some of these uh, some of these towns are banning natural gas supply, uh, you know, being put in new construction, new homes and new buildings. It's really stupid. Yeah, but, but Pembroke really needs natural gas, right, Mr. Carter? Pembroke need a lot of things. Like what? Tell us. Natural gas is one of the elements in Pembroke to allow us to be a little more resilient. And uh, but some people like wood too. Radiant heat from wood is is sustainable if you do it correctly, and it's it's healthy. And what are the and, other uh, needs? What are the other needs of the farmers? Well. The thing that's extraordinary about Pembroke, it's an overlooked area. We're the largest agri- black agriculture community outside of the Mason-Dixon. And uh, we have the largest number of black farmers outside of the South. And in addition to that, we have great soil for growing vegetables. And we're 60 miles from a very major market and unfortunately and perhaps fortunately we're in a space where we're going to have to be able to create greater food security for the environment that we live in now in the midwest of what we call it's like a bioregion what does nightcore say when he's talked to them i mean there can't be a lines too far away i mean if you're only a few miles from kankakee well there's been no desire a strong enough desire and development commitment for uh, gas to come into Pembroke. 
What's the total population of your area? Well, right now, uh, Primbrook, uh, Hopkins Park, which sits in about Primbrook, the whole area, is about 3,000 people. Huh. 3,000 people. Okay, now and, uh, and you mentioned uh, NICOR. Reverend Jackson did get a representative to come to your, your meeting uh, two meetings ago. And she was. Uh, she said that she was going to try to help get that uh, gas line, uh, natural gas line, installed. Do you believe her? Well, the tragedy of being here is people say a lot of things, mm-hmm. um, but they don't do it. So people make a lot of promises. They leverage our statistical data resources for themselves and it never trickles there's no trickle down um there's a wealth of land here but a lot of things are said but there's no integrity in what is spoken well we're in illinois my friend that's part of the problem (laughs) yeah we're in illinois but it's a collective problem our government don't keep their word and most people don't also they come in they, they take your statistical information. You know, they do a big uh, press piece and talk about a lot, but they don't actually do anything. We're in an embargo here in Primbrook Township. What do you mean? We're almost like Cuba. Our government had an embargo with Cuba. It was a very difficult period. Nothing can get in and and it was difficult to get anything out. Who are your local congressmen, and who's your local uh, Illinois state senator? Right now, we uh, Tory Hutchinson was the, the other uh, state senator. Uh, I think Mr. Taylor, I think his name's a new person that's state senator now. No, it wasn't Tory Hutchinson. And wasn't so, she with the marijuana? Wasn't she yeah, part she of was the, um, Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Congressman Kelly has been very supportive. But we have an embargo here. So there's a difficult for any development or resource to occur here. I'm not sure the true intent. The superficial perception is it's because we're black predominantly. But there may be some underlining commitments, too, in addition to being black. But there may be some designs here that we're not aware of or not engaged in. And Ms. Carter, I just want you to just emphasize and make the listeners aware of how important it is to have black farmers in America. You know, um, food is something that we take for granted every day, food and water. We go to the store, purchase food from Walmart, Jules, you know, local stores here. You know, do when there's a catastrophe, a flood up that happens in cities such as what happened in Hurricane Katrina, you know, and we have no way of feeding ourselves. That's where um, being a farmer like yourself plays a role. We have to control resources. And you, you, my friend, control a resource that many people take for granted and you, by you being a brother. So everyone listening to this show should um, take action on your behalf as well. Everybody needs to recognize, regardless of the color of your skin, we're in a food crisis in America. And uh, this year, last year, they call it the harvest of hell. 
because it was difficult to get the food planted. It was difficult to get the food out in time in order to harvest it. So this year we will have some shortages. We've already had it last year. Like what crops, Mr. Carter? Corn is one. A lot of string beans, beans, a lot of beans, beets, sugar beets. That's why the the price of sugars went up. Uh, Corn is a major one, but we do a lot with corn in America. Well, Illinois is a great, uh, it does have some great uh, farming uh, uh, land as part of our our state. You know, actually what you're talking about, too, in, in kind of a roundabout way, is sort of the argument where you have a big central government like in Washington telling flyover country what to do as far as like, for example, under the Obama regu- uh, regime, they were going to have these dust regulations. And that would have affected farming because, oh, you can't have too much dust or whatever. It was stupid. you know. And so this is the thing where when you have this big centralized government, they don't understand what the small guy in small town Illinois needs to do to have their business and to be able well, to farm see, in, correctly. In Illinois, we were at about seven years ago, we were trying to enroll the, the corn farmers to grow. Maybe take five or ten percent, which they control the majority of the land in the region anyway. It's only mostly ninety nine percent of what's grown here is not eaten here. So we were trying to get them to look at the possibility of the value of a local driven economy around food. We Illinois eat close to sixty billion dollars a year. But 99% of that $60 billion is imported in. And we have a lot of inequality in terms of economic opportunity, in terms of jobs, but we consume and eat $60 billion a year. But 90-something percent of that is imported into the state of Illinois. And now we have a problem with growing corn. So it was kind of difficult. We're going to be able to see very soon how important agriculture is when you can't put it on the plate. That's very true. The plate is the the most powerful political tool. (laughs) Because we're only, what my friend says, we are only nine meals away from collapse. Because we currently have a just-in-time food system, which is, I think, is the craziest thing ever. I used to be in automotive distribution. I made a living in supply chain management and working in designing local food, not local food, but just-in-time systems. I remember when it didn't work right. <laughs> in fact, uh, we was at the Ford assembly plant on the south side of Chicago, and there was a shipment that never made it because the driver was delayed in bringing it into the facility. It shut the supply chain down. It shut the line down. Didn't Reverend was, Jackson get you a $40 million contract? Were you the one? Yes, ma'am. What was that contract for? I was an automotive supply chain uh, company. I ran a, 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 one of General Motors distribution center in Fort Heights. Wow. And, uh, but it was an automotive distribution. For National Car Rental, Alamo Car Temp. We were one of the first, at the time, the first black American to even have a contract like that. So why did you become a farmer? Well, the business, I sold the business. Um, 
My wife. My wife used, she's a medical doctor, but she used food as medicine. And I never thought I would be doing what I'm doing right now. I had no plans. I had no consciousness at the time of what it is, the significance of uh, of um, environment and the impact that food has. Food was this invisible world to me also. <laughs> Even though I was born on a farm, I didn't know much about farming, even though I was born. My dad said, boy, you're doing everything we ran away from. But I think you're smart now. So I got into farming first through energy. I've I've trained in solar energy and different alternative energy. We started making our own biofuels when we lived in Chicago. But fuel and energy is so tied to food. It takes 10 calories of fossil fuel to produce one calorie of food. How could I separate the two? It's impossible. When you talk about food, you talk about energy because we are, we are actually eating oil, fossil fuel, because our, our food system is mostly designed based on fossil fuel consumption. And my son... It didn't snow one Christmas, and his mother told, why don't you find out why it didn't snow on Christmas? His birthday is just before Christmas. He was crying. It didn't snow. He was about eight years old then. And um, he discovered something that we call climate change. And then my son told me and his mother said, Dad, you guys messed up my world. And he said, what are you going to do about it? The, the life that you're leaving us, at eight years old, my baby told me this. And we looked at each other. We didn't know what to do. And he asked us, what are you going to do? This is, our, this is our answer to his request. Living a life that's sustainably, helping develop more local supply chains, making sure that we eat, that will leave something left for him making sure that we create a local food system so the issue of food security is not the top most dominant thing based on distance or politics you know we we have a we've been selling food for and doing markets you mentioned markets we've done thousands of markets in fact we just completed a contract with cook county doing markets at cook county for three years and um he used to do it with the state. What happened? We did it with the state. We've done it. We've done it all over the place. Mm-hmm. That was our way of addressing the food desert issue by developing multiple farmers markets. If we have done as many as ten farmers markets a week in, around Cook County. Well, why can't you do that with the churches, with the black churches? We've done it with black churches too. The problem with the church and with people, we have been conditioned and steeply conditioned in supporting the current economic system around food. We will buy food. It may look pretty, but it kills you. We've been taught. You're speaking about, Mr. Carter, you're speaking about the uh, pesticides being used? Pesticides being used, uh, 
it's the pesticides are used to a great extent because of the distance in which food travels. So we got the current food system, whether well, it's in Whole Foods or um, Walmart, is a non-sustainable system. And what people have to do when you're shipping your food thousands of miles from point of origin, consumption, you have to do a lot of undesirable things with it, like chemicals, gases, spraying them. Uh, uh, using uh, all these terrible things that you can't touch for two or three days after you spray it. So, um, so I just want to understand. So, what you grow in Pembroke is organic vegetables. Is that correct? And fruits. Yes, sir. We are organic by default. We're not. Most of us are not certified organic, because it costs a lot to be certified. But we are organic because we're too poor to use highly intensive fossil fuel fertilizer. Well, I'm so They're glad. Very I, I'm glad you, you're too poor to use that. But, you know, yesterday they were saying that that Pembroke people are poor, but then they're not poor. Can you explain that? Well, what is what is poor? You know, we came here because we had an employee was here. When I got down here at an event, a Gary Festival event, I saw these children riding horses. I saw the children uh, playing and a lot more peace. I saw elders here hunting and fishing. You know, the perception of uh, wealth in terms of a lifestyle, Trimbrook is wealthy. We got good neighbors. We got good water. We got great land. And people actually work together here. Sounds like a happy place. Yeah, but the problem yeah, is, the problem is. I mean, it, the the fact that you when you come here, the moment you enter this place, it's almost like going to Zion in the uh, Matrix. It's, it was a place in Matrix where. I remember that. Where, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's a good movie. Like I, I recall that. I mean, yeah. So, so you know, some people may say it's a poor place, but our Michael environment here, this is a healing, a very sacred area. And I have a you question a for mo- you as well regarding the the, um, the seeds that you all plant. Are those seeds like genetically altered, like from companies like Montesantos? I know they were previously purchased by Bayer, another pharmaceutical company. No, we're not using genetically modified seeds. Heirlooms or com- just uh, conventional seeds. That's great. That is great. So how can I get your products here in Chicago and when? Well, the, the, right now, this is the season where we're there's not much planting unless you have a greenhouse. Right. And um, how we need to look at Primbrook, I think, from a system approach. How do you design a food system based on a geographical land that can supply the city, the communities in Chicago, locally sourced? And I think that's how we need to look at it. We need to look at how Primbrook can be a value-added supply network of feeding Chicago. And I agree, Mr. Carter, because honestly, when I drive um, to certain places on the south side of Chicago, all I see is Dallas's centers popping up. 
They popping up all over um, Southside. You got one on Stony Island on 87. Then you, dri- you drive to the um, west of 87 in the mall. Of, they got another one um, inside the um, outlet area. There's another Dallas Center. They're popping up all over Chicago. Well, what are they called? His, his wife has Dallas a, Centers. His you know, wife, his, wife kidney. his wife has oh a dialysis. dialysis. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah, yeah. His his wife. See, your wife has a cure for that. She she was talking about uh, my life. wife. That's how we that's how we started just out of her medical practice. Right, but tell uh, us we about started okra. With a, tell us about which started. I don't like, but tell us about okra. Okra is a is a plant. Are uh, the vehicle of making sure your body is healthy. Not just a vet. We're not saying being a vegetarian is the only way to be healthy. But food is the cornerstone of your well-being. Right. And if food is not important, you, can, you can't begin to talk about anything else. Because our food is, has a direct relationship to our genetic expression. Our genetic future is intimately tied with what we put in our mouths. And if you don't think that's important, wait till you get a older age and then recognize my grandmother was a lot healthier than I ever will be. Mine too. <laughs> and it's not because she didn't eat pork she ate or she didn't do ground. other things. It's because genetically she was being supported by a healthier food system. In America, we had a healthier food system than what we have right now. But then how do you you explain the fact that people live longer and longer now? That's right. Our children are not going to have the the privilege because the city in Chicago, the way children are being fed, even in the school system, has a lot to do with how well or unwell they behave. Not just the social structure of a single parent that we keep hearing that story. That's not true. We all grew up. I'm old enough to remember. I had a lot of friends who didn't have but one parent. They weren't acting as strange and erratic as our children are right now. So well, there's a lot of other social things besides that. I mean, there's a lot of influence from media and things like that as far as kids. Yeah, the media is one element, but your your behavior is a biochemical reaction. My biochemical reaction, to a great extent, comes from what my biochemistry is. If I don't have the right chemistry, biologically, I'm eating terrible food, so it's hard for me to sit down. It's hard for me to rationalize, have rational thought. What foods are you eating that you shouldn't be? Well, one, I was I taught a class in King School once, and and I had eggs, I had chickens, and all that in there. The children didn't even know where vegetables came from. In fact, some of them had hypertension at eight years of age. I oh. cried. I mean, it was unbelievable. That's terrible. And what when they went on break, and when they came back, I had absolutely no tro- control over those kids. So one day, I went with them on break. They was eating all this processed, high-sugar, high high-sodium food, like the hot, and drinking a lot of sodas, a lot of high-fructose sugar. All these things were things my grandmother never knew about. So a lot of the food, mostly processed food, most of your processed food has genetically organized. 
in them. 90 to 80 percent of the processed food has some, some, something that they shouldn't have in it. And most people eat processed food, especially the poor in Chicago. So we eat a lot of high-sugar, high-sodium processed food, which you can't even read the labels. You have to have a degree of physics to read the labels and know what's in it. And you're Again, right, Mr. Carter. You're right, 100% right. Yeah. So our food is the most overlooked item in your life until it's not there. Mm-hmm. So when that plate, when there's a disruption in our current system, well, food's not there. You know, it's, it's this invisible thing. But food and eating healthy will reduce the amount of deterioration that we see in our communities everywhere. Everywhere. So, the dialysis clinic. Uh, right. Jumping up all over the place. Yeah. Kidney failure. High rates of cancer. All kind of immune diseases that we've never seen before. And you're 100% right. They spend billions of dollars marketing to us about how great um, soda or pop will make you feel. They use yeah. celebrity endorsements. That's right. Look at the cost. Not only the financial cost. But the distress in our families and community because our, we're, we're ill. That's true. We're almost out of time. Can you tell us a little bit more about the history of Pembroke? It used to be an underground railroad. Yes, ma'am. Pembroke was part of the underground railroad. So when did and there are a lot of so when did African, when did African Americans really come there the first time? What year? African Americans actually founded or was part of the founders of this community. Wow. After in the in eighteen sixties and eighteen sixties, mm-hmm. I think. That's fascinating. Fred Carter, yeah. executive director of the Black Oak Center and president of the Economic Committee. Thank you for being on the case and uh, I will see you on the eighth of this month. Uh, Reverend Jackson will be right back out there. He's really determined to help you get um not just the natural gas line, but you don't even have Internet out there. All of the other communities around you have Internet. They, Jonathan Jackson said it right Saturday. He said, you guys have been robbed, robbed of, of resources that all, everybody around you have, and that's not fair. I want to know who's fighting for you in Springfield. 